0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex White of the Electric Soft Parade. The Electric Soft Parade are brothers Alex and Tom White from Brighton. It was a real fascinating chat. Uh, Alex goes into some great detail about the songwriting process and how the guys toured and wrote songs together in their formative years and also a bit about the songwriting process for their most recent albums just before we hit the interview here's a quick reminder of the ways you can support the podcast don't forget to follow me on social media you can search for the indie alternative podcast and links are in the show notes also if you'd like to buy me a virtual copy to help maintain the costs there's a link to a buy me a coffee page in the show notes and lastly if you haven't done so already and you fancy doing it Please write me a short review, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from as well. But that's it for The Waffle. Here's Alex. Welcome to the podcast, Alex White. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Yeah, I'm not too bad. We're recording this
2: uh, on one of the hottest days. It's a red warning here in the UK. It is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I've been out a few times today. It's just been... I mean, five minutes in the sun and it's like that's too much. That's enough. Too much. Get in. Not not yeah. for us athletically challenged people, especially. No, indeed. Yeah, well, I do Sort of. I'm cradling this hat in my house, th- thinking about I was sort of testing the hat earlier, looking at it, going, well, "I can't wear a hat. I wear shades. I can't hide myself. I have just got to sit here and do it, haven't I? I can't hide my face. Well, uh, I, I said goodbye
1: <laughs> to those many years ago. To that, and then I have just live with it.
2: We just are who it. we are. What do you yeah, want? exactly? You know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> The age of self-acceptance. I hope you know. Let's just get um, on with it. So yeah, thanks for joining me on this one of the hottest days of the year so far. It's a we're we're going to sweat our way through this uh, really fascinating chat about the electric wow. soft parade and um, and mm. how how much how many different kinds of scenes there were all over the country um, and Very and sort of how it sprung up. Yeah, you guys were from Brighton, and um the, the Brighton scene was, I guess, I mean, especially from an early in my early career in music, if I can call it a career, if anything, was that Brighton was
2: the Holy Grail. I mean, was it like that? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of bands that did move to Brighton, bands like British Sea Power sort of formed in Brighton or sort of formed outside and then moved to Brighton, things like that. But, um, you know, I think, I don't know, There was just a, I think... A lot of bands, you know, it's that thing of like, is there a scene or is it just bands getting signed at the same time and then getting collected together? You know, I think it's sort of both in a way I find, you know, it was a lot of in the music press when we got signed, it was like, you know, around that time, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, the scene and everything and sort of putting this stuff onto it. Like there is in New York. If you actually go and read those around the strokes and stuff, you go and read those books about the strokes. It's like, actually it's more fragmented or it's more, you know, it's just more specific each time that it, this sort of like thing that grows out, like the people love to sort of put on it. But By the same token, there are scenes in local areas. It's often actually, if you think about it, surrounded around a venue or around a promoter, a particular person who's someone who's sort of a curator and, and a you know, like a gatekeeper in a good way, you know, of culture, you know, who's sort of, I mean, I think of someone like Will, uh, Will Moore, who's still a promoter in Brighton at the Albert, um, at Prince Albert in the station. And, you know, he's been our guy for 25 30 years at the free bar all these places back in the day you know that he used to promote he put us on when we were kind of we were unable to get shows anyway we were kids really you know and he put us on and give us a chance and he would sit with you in the night count all the money you know everybody in the each band's rep would you know count the till and that would you go right you're getting that you're getting that and it would just be this kind of socialist sort of thing going on and yeah. all our friends would come from school, all the different audiences would come. So there was a scene around that, but it was always around this venue. It was around this, you know, particular promoter or another promoter. of was several of, you know, different venues at that time. I think that's what happens, you know. And of course, the gentrification of Brighton, those venues have got closed down over the years a lot. Yeah. All the rest of it, you know, I and mean, that changes, you know, things change, it's fair enough. But, you know, I think that's what a lot of those, you know, so-called scenes are actually not necessarily. The bands are just doing their own thing themselves. They've got their own influences, their own cultural sort of, whatever you know where they've yeah, come yeah. from their own class their own sort of set of influences and, and ambitions maybe you know um and then of course one band gets signed it's like a uh then it's the scene then it's but if you think about it british seapower 80s matchbox beeline disaster soft parade uh clear lake yeah uh, all these different groups do you know what i mean like the not nothing, none of them are like each other, really. You know what I mean? They're very different. And then you think of the fat boy, slim, and all of that stuff. That whole side of it, the big big boutique, was around the same time, the late nineties. You know, yeah, very very different. You know, not together at all. But you would be on a scene together in a sense. You know what I mean? It was yeah. it was funny. If I can take you back, Alex, back
1: to the back to the past, yeah, <laughs> so the it- artist. <laughs> you and you and Thomas, obviously, um, and sort of the core of the band or the, you yeah. know, the main duo. Um, what was it like in, in your house then early growing up and listening to music? And what were you kind of
2: your really early musical influences? I guess. Um, I mean, both our parents were sort of into music, not crazy into music, not players. Particularly, My dad had played clarinet at school, I think, and, you know, and was sort of into classical music to us quite severe and you know whatever so we would do classical music when we were kids you know we we i guess we had an aptitude the story goes that i had a ear that i played um you know i we had a little toy keyboard or something when i was really young I was like 3 and i played you know the eastenders something <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, some yeah. little thing and I, it was like the wrong note and i went no it's not that it's this and it was the right note you know and corrected myself and they went they knew enough about music to go What? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. That kid's doing something there, you know. So they got me piano lessons, and you know, I they realised I have perfect pitch. They call perfect pitch. Um. So you know, and then I played violin. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, we we grew up in the same kind of way. He would take violin lessons and piano lessons. Tom, you know, and and all the rest of it. You know, we sort of grew up together in that sense. We had sort of different. He he went into the guitar a lot earlier, you know, and and studied guitar and was very into rock guitar and the hotel yeah. magazines and all that kind of stuff, blues, and we got into all of that. I remember one day my dad brought a tape back of, uh, he said one night, you know, we we he said something about Sergeant Pepper, and we said what's that? And he went right, and the next night he came back with this <laughs> tape and we sat and listened to it as a family. It's the only time we listened to any record like that, but that was what we did. And he just sort of gave us that and went that's the Beatles, and we went off and found the Beatles you know, watched the films and stuff. But um, around that time when I was about I don't know, when I was in the Scouts, when I was about 11 or something, Um, I had this friend, Sam, and he finds himself like Elvis, you know, he wanted to be Elvis, obsessed with Elvis. And I just became obsessed with Elvis because this guy was, I was like his side man, you know, he works, he works out, I could basically listen to music and play it on the piano back to him. Uh, yeah. Pretty yeah. much, you know, the kind of play, he'd play an Elvis thing. And I'd go, yeah, basically got the kind of jump of that and play it for him. And he could sing it. So we'd sit in his piano room doing it. And I just learned all, that's how I learned my chops, really, is, is sort of, now I think about it, is sort of going over those massive orchestral, huge, great band recordings, which I still love, those Elvis recordings, you know, the sort of early 70s stuff. We were out touring around the schools. We did this whole thing where our school had this, you know, trying to get people to come to the school, doing, going, we've got this music programme. Look, we've got this great music programme. They didn't have a music programme, really. But the, the the rival school did. They had a great band and they <laughs> toured. Yeah. The primary schools, being like, come to this school, is was great. So they were trying to do a bit of that. And they got us in the van and we'd just go and play like whatever we were playing, the sort of, sort of Gomez covers and right, whatever was out in the 97. Like, yeah, we were still kids. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, We were playing that. We did like three gigs in a day, went round the different primary schools in Brighton, sort of doing a little show and going, showcasing that this was like the sort of thing that happens at this school. So come in a bit like that we were doing all that kind of stuff at school and playing music to a sort of professional level. It felt like, do you know what I mean? So something we were going to studios and doing gigs at pubs and getting paid and saving up money and going to do a studio session and then going out on tour in this round bright Brighton for the school. But, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we got signed, people were going, God, am I, mean, I so young? We were going, well, sort of, it's like Phil Collins, you know, he was on the stage at 11 Fourteen or so, you know, he's a professional drummer when he's fourteen. So by the time Genesis, anything, it's like,
1: yeah, you'd already sort of cut your teeth. Yeah.
2: So you'd not say, "I'm Phil Collins."
1: I wish I was. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about the writing then, from the the early sort of yeah. stuff you two were writing together. And did you kind mm. of uh, like adopt or assume your own kind of roles, or was it kind of like a free for all in the early days?
2: It's interesting, isn't it? I don't. I really don't know. I I sort of. My dad always used to say to me, I didn't show him that I, I, he never saw me learn anything. He was trying to teach me something. And then I'd go, I, I wouldn't, I'd be going, I can't do it. And just not, I couldn't do it. And then I'd go away and I'd come back and I can do it. And he goes, I've never seen you learn anything like that the moment you learn something. And I sort of, I don't know, but it's like writing's a bit like that. I can't, I can't remember the moment I, mm. if I did, it's this sort of a lightning in a bottle thing. You don't know what happens. And I sort of never know what I've just done. Uh, or how things, why things go, so, you know, It's I, so you sort of just let things happen and then go back and edit them. And that becomes the idea. That's how I sort of work. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, it was very much, you know, we learn, you say about learning, you know, guitar, doing Brit pop stuff and whatever, like that time, I mean, you know, blur would put in the book, the lyrics and the chord symbols above each where the lyrics change, you know, where the chords change on the lyric. It's like, yeah. there, there it is. So even I can hear it, right? I could put a picture, I can hear it. I was G minor, whatever, I can hear it. But if you couldn't, it's like, it's just an amazing, even if you could, it's nice to have it just there and just read it. And it's, I don't know, that kind of, that was a bit like, I sound like such a prick, but like that was like our punk Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah, generation yeah. Of like in a sense of like, that wasn't this music book where it's all been classical musicized we had one of those done that's how big we got we had a book done i'll get it it's down there somewhere but the you know holes in the wall music so yeah, you can yeah. play along at home. they all bought that you know for god's sake um but you know it's all these really complicated iterations in musical staves of what these mad guitar shapes are it's like bro it's just a capo on that thing and it's just a thing i don't know i'm not a, i do actually know if i was in classical land i'd do a string arrangement but it's it's a yeah. music thing it's a band thing yeah,
1: yeah. it's not
2: that and I, and it's sort of democratizing that i think that when you put in your own lyric you know here's the lyrics here's the chords that's all it is and there's some arrangements there's specific bits i don't write every bit of tab in it but that's for graham to go i'm the you know genius and i can do all that and yeah, yeah, it in. yeah. but you get the sense of, that you should be picking up a guitar and playing this and you can and that's all it is it's just that grid do that
1: thinking about like when you first started having like making demos and stuff between the mm. two of you and um you know those writing roles that you've, you've talked about but i mean you came i mean you were you primarily the kind of the songwriter or or was or did you just kind of take responsibility of the lyrics and stuff and we the arrangements? both wrote
2: songs i mean it's funny we sort of both wrote, we've never really written together we've got a lot of co-write stuff you know mm. which you say is co-write because we finished each other's idea off or something like that like I would have it up to a point, I'd have a chorus and a you know verse and a chorus, and Tom would come in and finish the song, put a bridge in it or whatever and all the other way around, you know um sometimes you doubt yourself like um I don't know whatever songs it is, do you know what I mean like the, the, you sort of like invent a new section, but something like I think wrongest thing in town off American adventure, if I think about it now, that was Tom's song and then my ending bit, yeah, so if you can sort of hear the type of chord sequence i would do that's the ending bit and the type of chord sequence tom would do you can sort of if you know the writing it's like that's the sort of split but i guess it's a bit like steely dan or something not really because they actually wrote together but like you know in the sense that you think oh he does the music the other guy you know becca does the lyrics um or the other way around and it's like no it's it's both all the time a bit like lennon and McCartney. There's no. You know, I'm not comparing myself to these people at all by the way of course and we don't actually write together we're not correct we share the publishing these days we 50 50 but you know we we, in terms of writing songs we've always written separately really I think because I think songwriting like if anyone was in the house I wouldn't be able to write a song you know or write do anything you know I kind of just about mix stuff and people I know people might be listening but you know, if it isn't finished and it isn't if it, if you don't even know what it is yet and you're just trying stuff out and it might be rubbish, you know, and you're going, You've got to sort of think the doors are shut and I'm okay, yeah, it's yeah, safe, yeah. you know, and I can do it. It's a sandbox, you know. Ten years ago, about three years after my mum died, um, I wrote the last soft braid record, Stages. I wrote that record in like a day. I sort mm. of went right I was on a session before that about a year before and I was sort of starting to kind of go I could maybe play around some ideas started sort of recording a few bits just on the fly just nothing really no ideas and then I sort of went right my dad went away for for a couple of weeks and you know and I sort of I I just took a couple of weeks and I just thought right I'm going to make a you know place where I can be safe and comfortable and right and I thought and I started writing this stuff and I, it was sort of beautiful and kind of delicate and different to any, it was supposed to be a completely different thing from the software as it started. And yeah. I sort of went, oh, I don't know. I just kind of went, right. I think I'm ready to talk about that. My mom's death mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, it was, she died from cancer very young, you know, for sort of 55 and uh, you know, and it was a hard one and, it, and I just sort of realized I was ready to write something about it and sort of go there. And I started writing this thing and I realized quite quickly, that's what it would be about. And I sort of, Wrote the shape of the first song, like the chord sequence, and then I went, Right, now what? How do we feel after that? And I wrote the shape of the second one, real simple chords, you know. Um, and just and then I kind of went, Right, that's that. And then next one, and next one, and next one, and I thought, That's enough. And, then, and I got seven, and I went, Right, let's go back and fill those in. And I yeah, spent yeah. two weeks filling that up and filling those in, and then I sort of bounce those down and I had another project I was working on. I sort of just put those on the back burner and just had them in the headphones when I had a spare time, listen to those backing tracks, let it percolate, didn't really sort of think about vocals or any, try and write it, you know, I just let it happen and just let it happen for me, to me. And then eventually I sat down and write the lyrics and it was like, all came out exactly, you know, it was all right somehow. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and when I look back, it was like, to me, that was like a big process that happened over time. When I look back now, I was like, pfft, that was like six weeks all about or something, you know, it was like the first gig was the end of January, 2013. That was sort of, that was October, end of October or something that, that when I sat and wrote that. So, you know, the point is all of that said, the method is that that's yeah. my method that I'll give the world, you know, if anyone wants to know it, just get one idea, one little thing and just think I want to start with that one little idea. I've got one little chord sequence that I like just a kernel of a thing and then just let it grow, let it happen and go that feels like a shape that's a verse and a chorus and an end bit or something that that'll do that's fine don't try and go no, but yeah, what yeah. if what if just let it be and just put it down and then go right now what how do we fit if that was track one, what does track two want to do, and then start building it and start doing it like that structure and then kind of go back and and then you can tweak things you can move it, but you'll sort of realize if you just leave it, you've probably got it right actually yeah, there's something yeah. in that initial thing that burst
1: when do you kind of bring Tom in on that and also do you is there a kind of decision about who plays what on the record
2: yeah I mean the last record that stages the the thing about my mum I sort of what I realized about when I started writing that I wrote all the instrumentals like I say and then I put the lyrics together and I started thinking about the lyrics I thought I don't think I can say everything in one tune you know I'm Mm. gonna say from this angle here, from this perspective here, and then I'm going to say it here and sort of through different non-linear time, you know, sort of starting here at the end and then going back to the beginning and sort of going back to her childhood and then flash forward to afterwards and all that stuff. And I sort of had this whole picture of it. So it was very much my thing. And it was a sort of, sort of side project thing. It was like a solo project thing. And I mean, that did record it and it just, the recording didn't quite happen. And Tom helped mix it. Tom played on that, you know, and he supported mm. it and everything. And then it just sort of sat on the shelf for a couple of years. I didn't really know what to do with it. And I didn't, you know, I couldn't really finish it. And and then Tom just kind of went, Why don't you just why don't we just make that the next soft braid record rather than sitting around writing we were gonna write half each or something for the fifth one? And then we sort of developed it from there. And and because it was then a soft braid record, it was like he then sort of did this whole job on it and restructured it from the beginning and went away and recorded the drums on another session he was on. He sort of took some spare time and just did the drums from scratch sort of to the original recording so there was the same tempo and the same feel and stuff but sort of from scratch the recording so you know and built up the sort of sounds and the soundscapes and stuff from a different place than I was coming from originally I sort of thought of it as like a soul band or something you know with like a horn section and a a unit you know yeah and this is more like I don't know more of a software thing which is this kind of studio creation you know with with a, with a, with lots of live and real playing, organic playing, or whatever, but a lot of electronic stuff, a lot of synth stuff, and a lot of production. You know, I think there's a real
1: gravitas to that album, though. And it's, I mean, oh, thanks. not to say like um, in a cliched way, but there is a, I don't know. It, it, to me, it sounds like a really mature album, and it's such a, it's so layered. Like all your stuff's layered, and um, it's really interesting to listen to. It's not just you know guitars you know, vocals, drums, and bass, there's loads of pads going that's on, loads thing, of different yeah. sides. And it, and it's laid in a way that just seems to, feels like a real kind of natural evolution of the music. And obviously yeah, it's just the hearing, hearing about what it's you have. It's funny had... you
2: say that, because, oh, you know, we, I sort of I agonised on it a bit, the stage is thinking, can we even do that as a soft braid record? Is that okay? There's horns all over it. It's a big, all the songs yeah. are seven minutes long. Like that's not yeah. what the soft braid is, you know, and all the chords are like very simple, actually. The arrangements are complicated and the layers and that, but the, the chords like i say i wrote it all really quickly and it's like and i deliberately i didn't say that before i tuned the guitar down to e flat the whole thing so the whole strings down half a step just so that like when i played a g i got a g flat when i played a c i got a c flat i got you know b whatever i got do you know what i mean so all the chords so i couldn't go that far away from the open positions and the basic chords because of the perfect pitch because i'd be playing an e and hearing an e flat right right and I can't turn that off so the pitch is what it is so if the guitars in the wrong tuning it, 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 everything's wrong right and it's like I'm having a live translator as I go and it, so I have to keep it really simple otherwise I get sort of chromatically confused
1: i'm going to sound cliché again but it does you can feel and hear the emotion and it takes you the journey is the other uh, yeah. corny thing to, the journey's in the song and you're right about you know it's very brave i think nowadays to write and produce Thanks. and write an album with it is where you are putting five six seven minute tracks down because it's completely Mm. unheard of and it's like that is for me when we when i was writing and we were putting stuff together and we had eps out in the er, in the old days uh Mm. in the hair in the hair days as i call them the um (laughs) everyone used to say to us you need to do radio edits otherwise you're you're just not going to be played and we were like that's not what we do we were listening to a lot of um you know well, ex- explosions in the sky and
2: you know yes. just, just wanted to take things go and we, we want yeah. things to go on oh, well, the whole hi, idea hi. of that but i went no radio edits i'm just going to be an arsehole about it. no radio edits. no <laughs> you know um because the last record we did with helium with chris hughes again we did one tune brother you must walk your path alone lovely little pop track sort of two minutes 20 on the mm-hmm. record right on the 10 track record, right? That's got tracks them out that length on it. You know, it's this tiny little pop thing, just wheedled right down to make it as poppy as possible and accessible. That's the fucking lead single. And the radio people went, we've got to cut that, do a radio edit on that, get the vocal in earlier. And we're going, it's two minutes to edit, you know, <laughs> they still want a radio edit. I think yeah. it's something about putting your thing on it. They're going, if we're yeah. going to work on this, we need to sort of get them to play ball or something. There's something about that, that if you don't want to cut yeah. it, you're difficult. And then you won't, But it. All right, seven and a half minute, Never mind. It's a single on, on the stages. That's seven minutes thirty or something. Mm-hmm. Seven and a half or seven four, whatever, seven twenty. So, you know, obviously you just can't do it, you know, come on, do a four-minute cut or something. So Tom did this cut, which you couldn't, you know, it just played beautifully, it was seamless, beautiful, like the way it, you know, it sort of kept the like a good radio edit does. You sort of don't like common people, you don't really notice that whole other bit. Yeah, You'll yeah. Never understand that's not even in it. And we sent it to Six Music and all of that and did it, you know, went, okay, here's the you know, and then we went, Oh, we're gonna play it. We got a word that we're gonna play it, you know. Brilliant, we had a song on the radio for a while, brilliant, amazing. Guy Garvey's playing it. And I listened to the show and he played it right out of the news at two two thirty. Um, middle of the afternoon. And I went, Right, obviously, you know, they're going there's no question he's gonna play the radio. There's no way. Didn't even occur to me. He played it. It started up, and the second bar, I went, "I know this is the album but you know, because I know the edit." Like, and yeah, Something yeah. came in that was like, "This is the album." Hang on, is he going to? Well, he'll definitely fade it before he went and played the last chorus then or something. No, he played a seven and a half minute track. He wow. played the whole thing, and then he <laughs> went, "That was a new one from Electric Software. Great, that beautiful or something." And then just moved on. So he didn't, he didn't do any blurb and sort of promote it or anything. Which I was thinking he'd then go, "Oh, I remember those guys from back in the day or some." Do you know what I mean? Like they do. He sort of moved on. It was like you've had your. Maybe he didn't realise how long it was, and he put it on and went, "What
1: you've had your lot." <laughs> you famously lost out to um, Miss Dynamite in two thousand and two. Dynamite, yeah, great. <laughs> Brilliant. In the Mercury Music Prize, uh, the, the, a... the the Poison Chalice that is the Mercury Music Prize.
2: A weird, <laughs> thing, all of that whole. I mean, honestly, it's it's like a it's like some. It was like a film I watched or someone told me about it or something. It feels like such a weird, odd thing. I don't remember really very well. And I just, you know, not not because I was so high on drugs or something, just because it just, I don't know, it just is a different person. You know, it's that long yeah. ago now. I don't know. It feels like another world. It's a weird thing. Uh, and actually it was so brief. It's so weird because it feels like 20 years when you're in it. It feels like a long career. And you think it's 18 months. Yeah. You know, or something from from the start to the kind of when you got dropped was 2004, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's
2: three years, really. You know, it's not the actual bit where it's like you're getting on buses all the time. You're touring, you're doing shows like that. You're getting into that. You know, that was a that was like six months, probably nine months. that period where it's like everyone's on your case and you're doing all the radio and there's all the stuff. As soon as that doesn't start making loads of money. Right. You know, right away. Mm-hmm. They go, OK. Another three months, what you got? And Hmm. then they go, right, goodbye. (laughs) It's sort of in their heads anyway. And then they keep going for a bit and they go, "Mm, less and less stuff. And then eventually, no. And we kind of knew, and we felt that. We felt like we weren't getting supported. And the second record, I mean, you know, it was on the shelf. The single was on the shelf. They printed the single up, Lose Your Frown. I wrote that song and I went, that's such a pop song. Oh, yes, I can give them, I can deliver. I'm doing my real building job. You know, I'm doing that job. I'm mm. a songwriter. I've got a record deal. Do you know what I mean? I've got mm. a publishing deal. I'm a songwriter now. Better write some songs, you know, mm. and sort of doing that and just sort of trying to deliver these things. And then they just sort of went, Yeah, we don't like that. It's not, doesn't fit the whatever. They didn't really tell you why. And I we remember one time we went in the office and there was just this stack of the singles that was cancelled. And there they all were on the shelf, literally shelved. And it was like, as we walked out, we walked past them all. It was like, oh, That's no. not coming out. It's just like, these 7 yeah. singles. It was like, okay, great. That's my song I wrote with good faith. You know, sort of thing Lots of that, you know. And I'm sure the other side of it was these guys were terrible to work with, or whatever. You know, we our mm. behaviour was awful, or whatever. I'm sure it was. I don't know. I, I I can't say. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's always another side to it. We could have been. Now I'd feel like I'd act a lot more professionally and less. I don't care about everything because. But I was a 19-year-old or something. So that's what you act like. Do you know what I mean? Of course oh. you don't care and don't understand the significance. And you think, yeah, we'll write a book. Who cares? You are an idiot. You know, you sort of behave like that when you're a bulletproof teenager.
1: Yeah, but that's right. You were, you obviously you weren't. You cut your teeth doing an awful lot yeah. of music at very young age. But yeah. I mean,
2: but you're
1: you, you were also. Not emotionally. Yeah, exactly. From an emotional point of view, you were still no. learning. And
2: and to be, you know, flung into that environment where you you and are. A you, pragmatic you, kind of business you, sense as well. of Like, yeah, let's, you know whatever it is you know invest the money or mm. you know whatever all this none of that you know so but well, I mean so- a
1: lot of a lot of um musicians artists, bands won't have that accolade that they were at least nominated for a Mercury music prize and also yeah, you know I mean- and then you won you won the Q award as well a best
2: yeah I mean look I'm not this is the thing you toss it off because I'm a that kind of person but like I'm not you know I don't take it lightly and I don't you know, the privilege of getting to those positions is not lost on me, you know. It was an amazing yeah. thing to be able to do. Um, You know, you say Miss Dynamite, right? that ceremony was just like this whole, that was like my mum and dad were there, we had, who both passed now, you know, and all the rest of it, you know, that type of thing was just amazing, kind of mental, like, mm. it was like the Oscars or something, you know, for yeah. and just like having my folks there. I mean, things like when we played with Oasis at the Brighton Centre, and my grandma was in the audience, you know, Geordie old lady watching, you know, it's just been like, and then and wrecking the backstage bar afterwards, <laughs> you know, these guys, you know, the family coming down. It's just like stuff like that. You know, those are the memories I actually have. I don't care mm. about all of the stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah, it's just fun to have been there and sort of think we're in the room. I bet every band feels like that. Like we've made it into the, what? We're one of the 12 things in the, what? You know, yeah, it's just yeah, mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did this photo shoot thing and we could dress in, the, the the label boss was like, I don't want any Brighton, not Brighton, right? No Brighton, no pier, no nothing, uh, Pavilion, not that rubbish. I don't know, it's quadruped anything. completely different look. You know, they're from Brighton. I don't want, it, don't want it mentioned. Okay, so these stylists came down and they're going blah 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 blah. They went, okay, we've got this brief, mad, not not normal thing. Let's get a, um, it was like a sort of I don't know what we got, sort of Victorian chimney sweeps or something. We look ridiculous. These sort of like boots and these mad sort of collared coats and stuff, whatever. The hell, I don't know anything about clothes, but you know, look, we look ridiculous. Look like Victorian urchins, <laughs> and we started doing these photoshoots. And we got back. It was with Steve Gullick, photographer, amazing guy, amazing photographer. And we, you know, Steve Gullick, and he's in my house And my mum going, "Do you want a cup of tea?" And that, and he just went. We sort of had a break, and we went. This is fucking shit. What are we doing? Why are we doing it like this? And we sort of whinged a bit, and he went, "Lads." It's your band. It's your image. It's your shoot. If you don't like it, turn not the fuck off. And we went, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, okay, but we, what can we wear? I look like a skater. you know what I mean? I look like a, just a kid. I don't have any dress sense yet, so I don't know what to wear. If I look trying to look smart like I'm going for a job interview, I look ridiculous. And he went, would you like this? And he was just wearing this sort of leather jacket thing. And I went, yeah, that's cool, man. You look, you know, you look Steve Gullick, he looks cool. And he went, we'll just wear that, and it was way too small. for the photography, you know, the shots. Like here, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And he just went, wear that. And we went up the hill and we did it. And we did it. That's the shot of us through the bar, through the bars at the sort of tennis court thing. But it looks like we're sort of trying to be hard and hip hop, and we I'm doing this kind of move like that. That was the shot that was used in loads of the promos and stuff. <laughs> and it's got that energy because we went. That was a day we went, we're not dressing like chimney sweeps, you can bin all of that, the whole day's shoot, that was all bollocks. Now the guy's gone home, we're doing it our own way and then we just sent them those and we just, you know, and I wore the photographer's jacket. There's a few people like that and Guy Garvey's another one, he did this amazing thing at a press conference In we, we were just flung into a press conference. When we went to Cannes in 2001 or whatever, Medem Festival, um, we played with Elbow and on this bill and this press conference, and basically, it was, it was Pete and uh, Guy and, and me and Tom. And we sat there, and it was this room 100 press, you know, international press. And we just sort of went, What the hell is this? We had no press training, we had no, do you know what I mean, like media training, nothing at all from the label. Yeah. yeah. um and, and we're a bit like, and Our manager sort of went, Go. And it was like, well, Okay, what? I'm not Stephen Fry. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, we well, do. You play to the instruments yourself. Yep. Yeah, I like Blur and Oasis. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? We had no patter or anything uh, or answers or anything. We were just kids. So we were just like... And we kind of sat there frozen like that a bit. And Guy just went okay um they get another question and guy would sort of half answer it and sort of go is, that's right isn't it boys and like you know you were saying earlier about this and we'd go yeah sort of blah 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 and rumble out and answer and he sort of like shepherded his three sort of didn't bother with his own whatever he was going to say he just made the whole thing about us and helping us do it together yeah, yeah. that was what he did and this is mm. way before elbow even dead want like any day now had just come out or something they were like a hot new band kind of thing you know and v2 whatever with the label over on. But yeah, did you know what I mean? It's just like a lush. I'll never forget that. It was just like those kind of people who's a bit older, I don't know how old he was then 30 or something, 25, 30, and he was just a bit older and just went, I've got to protect these two kids. They are rabbits in the headlights and yeah. what the hell's going on. There's this whole team of people around them and they're letting them do this. This is mental.
1: Alex, thank you so much for talking to me on on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's
2: been a pleasure to do it, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I oh. uh, you know, hope I've answered something well. <laughs> some description, some vaguely interesting thing. Who knows? Well, um, we'll, so. we'll look out for more material. Thank you so much for, uh, yeah, for what you've done. And coming um, soon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, if you if you're touring, I'll see you in Southampton.
2: That's it, man. The joiners, you know, any time. <laughs> I love that place. I love all those types of venues. That's what we need to do. You know, get back on tour. I saw a thing recently. Someone going. People whinging about you know, COVID, oh cinemas are all gonna, you know, no one's gonna go to the cinema again, streaming it's, it's over, you know, cinemas yeah, and houses yeah. are dead. And then it's like cut to twenty twenty two. It's like cinema chains shutting their doors cause children are so enthused by the cinematic experience yeah that they're en masse turning up and causing trouble or whatever the hell's going on i'm not advocating that's a good thing whatever it is but you know what i mean i don't even know i'm a granddad i have no idea what that was all about but (laughs) the fact that he's turning up in droves going check it out we've got to dress in a certain way and we're going out to this event and it's a it's a cinema it's a movie house you know Mm. it shows you you know like you say people making albums or whatever it is people were saying that oh albums are dead i don't see that personally people put up beyonce's just gone i'm putting an album out and goes an album you yeah, know yeah. that's what people want They don't care what, the singles are on an album that's what we want yeah know.
1: no i agree and it's um work it, you know maybe,
2: want a body of work that's what people want yeah and people are desperate to get out and
1: see music and, and carry and on to playing. see
2: shows right exactly yeah, yeah. you do the body of work you tour the album that's what you do that's just yeah. do it you don't do a zoom thing in your shed you know that's okay but it's like not so you gotta do a gig, you know, and you stand there and you have the air moving and you see the people doing it. That's a gig, you know. But can you imagine playing a show tonight? We've <laughs> I mean, done it before in places, but yeah, I don't know, sometimes it's you know, you just that's the thing, like I was saying before about like I can't I'd rather be doing a show than be at a show tonight, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah saying yeah, about yeah. if you're playing, you're going, Well I'm playing, I've got to sweat, we've got to do it, you know, you've got to get through it. Yeah. If you're at a gig and it's like that, you're like, we can't stay here, this is horrible, you know. Yeah, yeah. go. Let, let the dog out. I certainly will. Um Cheers she's just Alex. panting away. She's fine, she's probably gonna fall asleep on me. That's what she does. <laughs> anyway, Chief, much appreciated. Ta- Lovely. Take, take care, take care bye, bye. then. thank Cheers, you
1: Bye. Cheers,